Hello and welcome to Scottish Independence Podcasts, one of our earlier shows, which you might remember was on land justice, and we looked at a couple of case studies, Loch Lomond and Great Bernera. Well, there's been some update, particularly on Loch Lomond, so we thought that we would bring you that. We'll include a link to the original podcast in the notes to this if you'd like to listen to it, or you can get it on our website, scottishindipod.scot. You can also watch the YouTube version of this podcast on our YouTube channel, IndiePod Extra. Welcome, I'm here with my co-host Marlene. We did a whole episode on land from, or two main case studies that we looked at, as well as having a trip to Loch Lomond and a tour on the boat. We looked at the Flamingo Park application, which at that time, the planning permission was denied because it was the most objected to planning application ever. And they had said they weren't going to, weren't going to proceed if the public weren't behind them. The public clearly weren't behind them, and yet they've come back with another application. So the first thing we thought we would share is uh, Ross Greer from the Scottish Greens had a private uh, members business debate where he gave an update of what had happened and you know where we'd got to with it. So we'll play that. It's about eight minutes worth of uh, Ross explaining. There have been some major developments in this saga since that point, though, most notably a major revision to Flamingo Land's application, which I'll come to in a moment. Firstly, though, I hope colleagues will indulge me in providing a brief history of how the last seven years have led us to this point. And it has been a seven-year process. I'd highlight that number to emphasise just how exhausting this has been for the local community who have now had this threat hanging over them for the best part of a decade. Flamingo Land's first formal application was lodged and dealt with four years ago. The application was for a tourist resort on a massive scale, sitting on the banks of Loch Lomond at Balloch on what is currently largely publicly owned land. The plans included 125 woodland lodges, largely to be situated in the ancient woodland at Drumkinnon Woods, as well as a hotel, a water park, a monorail and more. Iconic lochside views were to be interrupted by buildings that local residents quite fairly described as garish and publicly owned land was to be used to generate profits for a private company based hundreds of miles away in Yorkshire and which certainly would not be reinvesting it in the local community and economy. Flamingo Land's own environmental impact assessment made for particularly grim reading, speaking of, amongst other things, damage to ancient woodland, pollution of standing and running water, red squirrel and otter fatalities and a host of other environmental concerns. That was from their own documentation. As you may recall, local residents and I formed the Save Loch Lomond campaign through which we lodged over 60,000 objections. This made Flamingo Land the most unpopular planning application in Scottish history. We were joined in objecting by the Woodland Trust, Rambler Scotland and Western Martinshire Council. The application was so clearly contrary to local and national planning policy that the National Park's own planning officers recommended that their board reject it. Rather than face that loss, Flamingo Land withdrew their application with just days to go before the hearing. That was in 2019. We knew that they would come back, so it was no surprise that a fresh application was lodged last year. That application was for 127 lodges, two hotels, a water park, a monorail, up to 21 apartments, a brewery, a pub, a restaurant, a boathouse, and all to be served by 393 parking spaces. They tried to squeeze almost as much in as they did the first time, but into a smaller space. They told us that the ancient woodland at Drumkinnon Wood had been taken out of the application and lodges moved elsewhere on the site. But any suspicions that Flamingo Land had turned into tree huggers thanks to our influence were short-lived. The details of the plans still showed that an area of Drinkinham Wood, marked in the application as Area 10, was earmarked for destruction, as were sections of ancient woodland alongside Woodbank House and the proposed boathouse. 
but even the supposedly saved bulk of Drumkinham Wood may be endangered by these plans. They're currently under the ownership of Scottish Enterprise, a public body. Should planning permission be granted for the site, Flamingoland get the woods too? When they were still speaking to me, that's some time ago, Flamingoland told me that the economic viability of the site rested on being able to develop in the ancient woodland. It's hard to believe that should they take ownership of the woods, or even a long-term lease, that they wouldn't seek at some point to exploit them for financial benefit. Last year's plans were seriously flawed, left so many questions unanswered, and made a number of contradictory claims. So on my behalf, the planning and environmental law expert Ian Cowan submitted a detailed letter of objection flagging every one of these issues to the National Park. And in response, and for which I'm grateful, their planning department essentially put the process on hold, demanding that the developer resubmit a number of documents and respond to 16 requests on everything from clarification of contradictory statements on parking provision and ancient woodland loss to how the proposals could possibly meet the high bar set by National Planning Framework 4. And just two weeks ago, Flamingoland responded, so this is a timely debate. They've reduced the number of lodges planned to 104 and parking spaces to 372 to allow for the staff and service area to be relocated from Area 10, the bit of ancient woodland. This is welcome, and I want to congratulate the local residents who worked really hard to protect that bit of Drumkinham Wood. But the ancient woodland isn't safe from sell-off, and as described by the Woodland Trust's briefing circulated to MSPs, other sections of ancient woodland are still under threat. There are so many flaws in this third attempt at a proposal. It's still much bigger than the visitor experience space zoned in the National Park's planning policy. It would be a scar on a world-famous landscape. The Landscape and Visual Impact Assessment admits that there would be adverse effects. Flamingoland keep telling us that there would be no negative impact on access, but that's simply impossible to achieve. You can't turn a popular public space for informal recreation into a densely packed, branded and privately owned holiday lodge park without a loss of the freedom to roam. A busy attraction with 372 parking spaces certainly isn't compatible with the park's net zero objectives or the Scottish Government's policy of reducing car usage. We're all well aware, too well aware, that Loch Lomond and its communities are overwhelmed by visitors travelling by car through peak tourist season. Speak to any resident of Luss or Balmaha or Balak itself about the stress of dealing with everything from inconsiderate parking to genuinely dangerous driving and antisocial behaviour. We want people to enjoy Loch Lomond, but we must acknowledge that some of its communities are simply at breaking point. The last thing any of us would want is the kind of oversaturation of tourism leading to deep-seated hostility from residents which destinations like Barcelona have experienced. The park are doing excellent work to make visiting the area more sustainable and supporting local residents who are struggling with the impact of high visitor numbers. I know the Minister won't be able to say much about a live planning application, and I recognise this isn't his portfolio area, but I would appreciate if he was able to speak a little bit more about the good work that the park is doing to encourage sustainable use. There's one other area about the National Park, the Park Authority, that I want to encourage the, the Minister and, and his colleague Orna Slater to look into, normally with a controversial planning application, objectors would be able to contact their councillors directly and make their views heard. Even though councillors on the relevant committee, the planning committee, wouldn't be allowed to express an opinion on the plans, this feedback from residents is an important part of the process. So it's unfortunate that Loch Lomond and the Trossachs National Park is the exception here. Unlike any of the more than 500 other councils and national parks in the UK, this park doesn't publicise direct contact details for its board members. I know that many of my constituents want to address board members directly, and the fact that they have no means of doing so leaves an unacceptable democratic deficit. The views of the community in this particular case are certainly beyond a doubt. We've had two local surveys now showing opposition by a margin of around three to one. 
Fomingoland's chief executive said if the community didn't support them, they would walk away. And it's very, very clear that the community don't support them, and yet here we are again. Residents certainly don't trust Flamingoland's grand claims. Not only would the substantial increase in traffic on already busy local roads clearly be to the detriment of the community, there's very little belief that the claimed economic benefits will actually materialise. Flamingoland initially promised 300 jobs for the area. This number has plummeted as the years went on. The eventual impact assessment for the 2019 application stated the equivalent of just 28 net jobs would be created in the region compared to Flamingoland didn't go ahead. And of course, many of those would be seasonal. The community is not hostile to development. I would certainly welcome the redevelopment of Woodbank House, for example. But Flamingo lands are too big, too destructive, and come from a developer whose behaviour should frankly disqualify them from playing a role in the life of our national park. The community are not short of alternative ideas for some of the sites, but these can't be taken forward for as long as Flamingoland's exclusivity agreement is in place. Were that to be dropped, I think Scottish Enterprise would get a lot out of actually speaking to residents about what they want. And like in some cases, in Drumkin and Wood, for example, that would be for no development to take place. Much-loved, well-used community green spaces are worth protecting, especially when they're also the gateway to our world-famous national park. In closing, presiding officer, 43,000 objections have been lodged to this latest application. The Woodland Trust and Rambler Scotland have joined us in opposing it once again, and the National Trust for Scotland has now also come out against the plans. We are all motivated by a deep love for Loch Lomond and a passionate desire to protect it. We've beaten Flamingoland at every turn for seven years now, and we are ready to do so again one last time. We are going to save Loch Lomond. What strikes me get over and over again with these um, you know, planning permission escapades? Because here we are, I mean, there, there, there's Ross again. You know, he's back there, he's back encouraging people to write in, object, and again, it's the most heavily, this, even the second go at it, it's still one of the most heavily objected to. I mean, tens of thousands of um, objections being put in. Um, and it's just, it goes round and round. And you kind of think, well, ho you know, hopefully it's, the, it's the, the people who have the project that, that get tired first. But you can sort of see that it may well not be like that. You know, it might be that it's the local planning, you know, committee that gets a bit overwhelmed or, or just gives in somewhere. But it, it's just, you know, why there can't just be a, com a complete, this is not going to happen. Probably that's illegal. I mean, probably a planning application committee actually can't do that. It's also, it's a national park, so you think yeah. we might be able to put some guidelines in and say, look, we don't want this kind of thing, we want that kind of thing. And, I mean, it, it just shows you how much money is obviously at stake, yeah. the fact they're not letting yeah. this go. And, yeah. I mean, the description that Ross is, uh, gives in his, um, his thing about all the different things they're trying to cram in there, and they're still, you know, they've got 300 parking spaces and they've got boat rides, restaurants, this, that, I mean, huge number of different mini business ventures totally out of keeping with the landscape and you know what you go to Loch Lomond for it's not to walk into a you know casino it's to actually appreciate is there the, a casino in it I don't, I don't know I'm saying that as an example of the, the kind of inappropriate <laughs> stuff right, I, right. I don't think there was a casino listed <laughs> That application was for 127 lodges, two hotels, a water park, a monorail, up to 21 apartments, a brewery, a pub, a restaurant, a boathouse, and all to be served by 393 parking spaces. Okay, so no casino, but you know what I mean. I mean, it was. I mean, that part of, you know, the shoreline at Balloch, I mean, it, it, it was a sort of shopping mall. I mean, and 
and and it does need reinvigorated and you know and and, and made to work well, probably updated and, and and made to work a bit better for for what people want now so you know fair enough but um for this to come in and and uh, I mean, God, I mean, even the name Flamingoland, their brand name, and feel myself as well, they can say what they, what they like, but what will end up is looking like their other Flamingoland centres, yeah. which is pretty crappy. It, but I mean, it's for what it is, if you want, a, you want a family holiday in a theme park with lots of bright lights and garish colours, it's perfect. You know, I've been there when we went as kids to Flamingoland. It was great, but it's not Loch Lomond. It's not Loch Lomond. No, it doesn't fit there. I mean, that day that um, that day that uh, you, you and I and a friend went out on on the on the boat trip out onto Loch Lomond. It's just, I mean, it was a stunningly lovely, lovely. day, but mm. it was it is it's so beautiful and and then you turn, you know, you kind of turn and look back to that bit of shoreline that that would that would you know become um, Flamingo Land and go. Oh, don't do it. I mean, this is our it's our land actually, and it's up you know to to make it to let it be taken over by um, with that sort of project just seems to me to be um, irresponsible. But at the same time, I am sure that planning planning com um, committees have their limits about what they can do. So that's when Scottish government can get called in. Yeah. And the other thing I remember we, when we went that day that we we took photos of the paddle steamer that was just laid up rotting in yeah. the, I mean, that, that is a tragedy as well. Um, and I suppose we can't say, give us the money, but we're not letting you put any of your, <laughs> any of your businesses here. There's got to be some bit of... Um, well, I mean, I suppose one of the objections from Ross has always been the objection in principle. And then there's a, they added that like, very few people uh, round about they would be able to afford to go and have a holiday in some of those cabins and that they're proposing to put in. It's certainly not going to be for... Um, you know, the average income household. And it wasn't, I think there are issues with the, the travel there, you know, the, the idea of having so many more cars on what's already quite a, a narrow road. And, you know, where's the, the additional investment in public transport, maybe, that would have eased some of that? So, so we're see. not fans. We're not we're fans. Not no. fans. We're not fans. And um, I mean, it's interesting, touch, you know, going back, touching into that whole program that we did, because there, there were other there were other projects that we that we talked about yeah. as well, wasn't there? There was the one up on Great Burnery. Well, and there's actually been an update on that as well. Okay, so this was this article is actually the 23rd of March. So it's quite recent. So Bernera, again, we covered it as a case study in our, um, our maybe Zaya episode about it, but just um, in the last couple of days, uh, Alistair Allen, MSP, who's, who's supporting their bid, um, has been asking for this, the land reform bill that's due um, this year to be strengthened when it comes to absentee landlords. And for anybody who doesn't remember our original show, it, it's a fascinating story that Island was originally bought by Robin de la Lanne Merlis, who was a fascinating character. Some think the inspiration for James Bond. Um, <laughs> he, he bought the island, lived on it actually, was, was part of the community. But then when he died in 2012, he left it to his grandson, Siran de la Merlis, who I think he lives in Switzerland. Absentee landlord, no interest in the place. Didn't the original chap who'd bought it, didn't he 
you know, say that he was in favour of the community buying it out. He did, he did. And the community voted something like 85% of people wanted to buy it out. And there were people wanting to return to the island who, you know, all these, all these islands are constantly under the threat of depopulation. So if you can encourage people back, that's obviously what you want. They've just refused to get into dialogue. There was a, an offer, a price suggested by the owner a few years ago which was just ridiculous so what they're now looking to do is to actually get into try and get down a legal route that requires the owner to come to the table yeah. and and yeah. behave reasonably with the the rural community well let, i mean let's hope that Alistair allen you know manages to get some movement on on that because I mean, it's obviously it is what's needed for the for the community over in Bernary. But you know, looking to the future, it's going to be needed for other land uh, projects where communities want to you know take over the land from you know a big estate owner or landowner who's there at the moment. So it's really important that there's legal backing to at least say to them, you've you've got to be in communication. You can't just mm -hmm. ignore this. So you know, fingers crossed that he that he um, you know that that manages to. To, to come about you know you know i i um go up to uh, lewis going to lewis um very occasionally not as often as i'd like actually it's to look after my friend's two collie dogs so my friend goes off somewhere else for a break and i i'm up there in the cottage with the two dogs and one of the places that i love up there is is um it's called gallon head aired it's near Uig, over it was right on the west coast of uh, lewis so aired is the village and it used to be raf aired up on gallon head Ministry of Defence land, I mean, had been an RAF station, lookout point in the, the Second World War um, and before that, and then latterly it was a, a radar station. And the community bought that out from the Ministry of Defence. So they they own that now, and God, they've got a big project ahead of them to make something of it. Um, I know they've got all sorts of plans. They've got a very nice cafe, folks, if you're up there. You can at least go to the cafe to help them out. So, so it's not as if these buyouts don't happen and, um, you know, and, and can be successful. I mean, there's been a few of them, you know, around about. There's Alba, Island of Alba, they've, you know, they've taken it over. We just need to make it a bit more streamlined for people. Yeah. So where the, you know, so that where the, the kind of underlying assumption becomes, this is, this is the direction, this is the pathway we want to have open for communities um, like, like that. I mean, I, I mean, we happen to be talking about very the Isles, but actually, it could be in a, it could be city, it could be in cities and towns where people want to be. take over derelict land. So or I mean, any, you know, it doesn't have to be derelict either. I mean, the the, the great statistic that I came across was, um, and the economics thing we were at is that. Well, we know that most of Scotland's rural land is in private hands, and very very few private yeah, hands at that. But more than 75% of people in the Western Isles today live on community-owned land, which is a huge statistic. I had no idea it was anything like that much. Yeah. And we, we often bemoan in our shows the fact that Scotland, we don't seem to own anything. You know, our ports, our infrastructure, our institutions are foreign-owned and all the profits are flowing out of Scotland, which again was something that Ross Greer made that point, that Flamingoland, the profits end up in Yorkshire. Yeah. So, you know, the idea that we can buy back Scotland a little bit at a time, I mean, I, I think the idea, I'm quite tempted to try and crowdfund 
buying Clark Manninger. Why shouldn't we try it? <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but it's interesting because look at that statistic, like 75%. Now, I would put money on that a large part of that was down to the move that Lord Lever made to hand over his estates on Lewis to into the, the hands of the Crofters. So that was great and it was a big move and, and that, I'm sure that will be part of the reason there's a high um, percentage up there. But look, what could it took? It took a, a guy who had you know, a bit of a different viewpoint and was willing to make that state, but it was in his power to be able to do that. So, you know, what we want to be in a, in a country where, um, yeah, where the assumption is that if a community seriously are wanting to do that, I mean, obviously a community has got to prove itself to be serious in taking and taking a buyout. It is hard work. It takes a lot of skill and, you know, and stamina to do it. But surely we want to be where, you know, the underlying assumption is that that is what will happen. It will yeah. take time and everything, but that's where people people's energy can be challenged and supported. Yeah. Not a country where, yeah, it can happen sometimes if there's a bit of magnanimity on the local landowner and he says, okay, you can have it. Mm -hmm. And even even local landowners who are quite, you know, have got some good uh, uh, ideas and are running their land well, it's still a great chunk of Scotland in the hands of one person. Yeah. I mean, let's, as, well, let's move away from that. Yeah, and that, as we can see with Bernera, you, you might have a great benevolent landlord doesn't mean when he dies that the next one is going to be exactly exactly yes yeah. exactly well so it's obvious if for those of you listening to me and fiona here it's obvious what we want to happen yeah crowdfund let's crowdfund. get Clark back into scottish back hands. ross Greer, you know I, I think ross Greer's done a really good job with um with the uh, yes. flamingo yes, one has. so let's hope he's let's hope he's successful yeah and dr alistair allen as well as yeah. and, yes and, indeed yeah. yeah, and I mean the thing, the weekends that we spent at the Scotonomics Festival of Economics, one of the, the topics of discussion was around the need for local democracy by and, and sort of European style local democracy is the kind of thing we're seeing on these yeah. islands. That's about the size of it. Yeah. And you know, they're they're not doing it full time. Yeah. It's not they're certainly not paid for it, but my goodness, they absolutely care about it because yeah. it affects them and their community and how they live. And you know, the, the stake that they've got in their own community is huge. Yeah. So they, they, it just seems no-brainer that that's the way yeah. we would want to yeah. go. So maybe that's, uh, if we should we should maybe have another look at that footage that from uh, the Scotonomics Festival um, and, and, and maybe we can do another little episode of these maybe maybe's minis. I haven't quite got my tongue around it yet, but anyway. We'll be do another short podcast on, on those. <laughs> that, that was good as well. Yeah, great. Okay, so yeah. thanks for listening. And yeah. don't forget, new episode of our podcast out every Friday. And don't forget to have a look at our IndiePod Extra YouTube channel where you'll get little things like this. been listening to History in the Making. This is the first episode of <laughs> Maybe's Minis. We'll have a jingle by the time you get well, back to the next one. We'll have a jingle and a logo by next time. <laughs> Bye then, everyone. Bye now.